Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. That just fires me up. Jesus Christ is coming soon. It's what we look forward to. And we're, having, we're going deeper in our study of Zechariah about the first and second coming of Christ. And I just want to review briefly our message last Sunday. There are times when we should be loud. Sometimes we have to shout before the walls in our life will come down. And there are times even when God shouts. And how many know when God shouts, the world hears it? And when the Lord Jesus returns, it says there will be a loud commanding shout and the sound of a trumpet call of God. And so many times in the Bible, it, it calls upon us to shout for joy. you got to sometimes just, just be loud. And all the time, we should be glad. Our King is coming, and God will live among us. And many nations will be joined to the Lord. This is the revival, as Nathan mentioned. And the Lord will again choose Jerusalem. Not only will there be re- revival, there will be restoration. And there are times to be loud, and there are times also to be still. There are times when we must be still and let the Lord fight for us. Sometimes we get in the way. And there are times when we should be still and wait patiently for the Lord and not fret. And all the time we shouldn't be fretting. And Jesus can command the storms in our life to be still. And so Zechariah has his fourth vision. And we see it in Zechariah 3 and we only get through verse 2 today. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So who is this Joshua that is introduced now? Joshua is a Hebrew name. Yeshua is the Aramaic form of the name Joshua. And the Greek translation of these names is what? Jesus, exactly. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua. The NIV study Bible says this, the names Joshua and Yeshua were common in ancient times. The Greek equivalent is spelled Jesus in English. And all three forms of the name mean the Lord saves. So it's interesting that in Jesus' day, his name was common. Joshua, Yeshua, or Jesus. It was a common name, but how many of you know he was special? May have been a common name, but it is the name that every knee is going to bow to. And so that, that name is precious to us, and we sing about it all the time. And in Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, Joshua or Yeshua are one and the same person, the high priest of Israel. We see this in Ezra 5.2 where he is called Yeshua. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, and Yeshua, son of Jezodak, set out to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. In Haggai, he's called Joshua in the second year of King Darius on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The high priest, Joshua or Yeshua, was among the company of the returning exiles. And he is still in Jerusalem all these years later. Remember, 
the construction of the temple had stopped. They were to finish the temple, but it had stopped. They had run into opposition. I mean, you know, sometimes we're going to run into opposition, but that doesn't mean we should quit. But they did. They paused for a while. And so Haggai and Zechariah's job was to motivate the people to finish the temple they had started. There are things in our life that we've started we need to finish. God is the author and finisher of our faith. Whatever God begins, he finishes. And so I want you to consider that. What are some areas of your life that are incomplete? You know God has told you to do something and you may have started it, but you haven't finished it. God wants us to finish those things that he has especially started in our life. And he will help us, but we must be a part of that process. And so God was challenging these prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, to inspire the people to get back to work and building the temple. Because until the temple was complete, they wouldn't have a place to offer sacrifices. You can't worship without a temple and you can't have a temple without a high priest. And Joshua was the high priest of, the, of that day. But my first point this morning is this. Today, Jesus Christ is our high priest. The Lord Jesus is our high priest. Joshua was the high priest at the rebuilding of the temple. But we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God does not dwell in a building. He dwells in a people. And we are that people. And we are that temple. And Jesus is our high priest. There's no longer a need for a human man to be your high priest or, your, or someone you have to go to because Jesus is the last and final high priest. We see this in Hebrews 4.14. 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus is not only our high priest, he is our sinless high priest. And he has faced every temptation any one of us have ever faced. Every trial, every tribulation, Jesus has been through it and has not sinned. And so because he hasn't sinned, he can help us. And that's what it says in verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have access to God's throne through Jesus Christ. I want you to know you can come into God's presence, not fearfully, not drawing back, but with boldness and confidence. He's your heavenly father. You are his child. You can come into the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way. Now my grandsons, Indiana and Shiloh, Sometimes they'll come over to my office, and I love it when their little hands are knocking on my door. And guess what? When those little hands knock on my door, I whip that door open. They have access to my office all they want because I have certain things there they really want, not just me, but I have snacks. Shiloh calls them, knack, knack. He says it all the time, knack. That little boy loves to eat. And so whenever you hear knack, he wants a snack. I've got candy, but I've also got toys. One of which is my very favorite that I brought for you today. And so they may not be coming for me, but they may be coming for him. Mr. Potato Head. Can we still call him Mr.? Give me a break. Leave Mr. Potato Head alone. This is a toy from my childhood all the way up through high school. No, um, 
Okay, college. No, whatever. But I think they're coming for me, but I think they may be really coming for the knacks and Mr. Potato Head. We have access to God's throne. We have access to his presence. Now, a priest served as a mediator between God and man, but there's no need for us to go through a human being. You don't even have to go through me. Aren't you glad? You don't have to go through me to get to God. You can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. And we see this promise in 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. We get to go directly to God. There's one mediator. You don't have to go to a human priest. You don't have to go to a human pastor. You can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. When he died, the temple veil was torn in two. We don't realize what privilege we have. In the Old Testament, the people could not go into the presence of God. But we can. We can enter his presence as we're here on Sunday morning or alone in our car, wherever it may be. You can enter the presence of God. You don't need a human priest. All you need is Jesus. Hebrews 9.15, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. We're going to be taking communion at the end of the service, and that's the new covenant of grace. We're no longer under the covenant of law. That those who are called may receive a promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom. There it is again, a ransom. Jesus died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The first covenant couldn't forgive your sins, but Jesus can. And Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. Whereas Jesus is our advocate, number two, Satan is our accuser. Not only do we have an advocate, not only do we have a defender, not only do we have someone for us, there is someone against us. In the Hebrew, the name Satan literally means the accuser. It's what it means. And he lives up to that name. Out of Wearsby Bible Commentary, he says this about this passage. Zechariah has described a courtroom scene in which Joshua is the defendant. God is the judge. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. And Jesus Christ is the defense attorney. And the advocate of God's people before the holy throne of God. And God's throne is a throne of justice and God is a righteous judge. Knowing this, Satan pointed out Joshua's defilement, which symbolized the defilement of the nation and insisted that a holy God punishes sinful people. And so we know that Israel and Judah sinned and they'd gone into captivity and they'd been brought back. And in, in this vision, Zechariah sees the high priest in filthy garments. We'll get to that next week. And so Satan says, look at him. Look at the high priest. And he represents all of Israel. Look at your people. They have sinned. Look at them. And we know that Satan continues to accuse. And and Satan stood by Joshua to do that. And he does the same with you and me. Remember when Zechariah saw angels on different colored horses. Look at with me again, Zechariah 1.9. I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. The man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent throughout the earth. And so there are angels that go out throughout the earth. And not only do God's angels patrol the earth, so does Satan. We see this first in Job. Look at Job 1.6. 
One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. So not only does God's angels patrol the earth, so does Satan. Now what this says to us is something very important. Satan cannot be everywhere at the same time like God can. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. Wherever you go, there God is. But Satan is, is not God. He's not equal to God, not even close. And he roams throughout the earth. And we see this roaming of Satan in the New Testament as well. Look at 1 Peter 5.8 in the Amplified Bible. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring, like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. That is our enemy. That is our accuser. He is like a lion. And he's prowling around, making noise. And he wants to devour God's people. And we see that this is the accuser. He roams around, he accuses. And we see this again in the book of Job. A little later on where we are at, Job 1.8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his Flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to his face. There's the accuser. He's accusing God's people before God. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he did exactly that. And we see here that Satan is accusing Job. He says, Job only serves you because of all the gifts you give him, the blessings. He's only in it for the blessings. But you take away those blessings and he'll curse you to his faith. And God says, okay, you want to you wanna give this a try, Satan? Let's let it happen. And you know what? Job never cursed God to his face. Job remained right before the Lord during this terrible test. And we see Satan as the accuser in Revelation as well. Now, the book of Job is difficult to read and to study. I once preached on it for over a year at another church. And we, that book scares us because we wonder if those things could happen to us. And it's a terrible thing. He lost, his, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his children. And we sometimes wonder, why would God allow that? I'm here to tell you that Job's testimony has ministered to countless millions throughout history. Thousands of years, we see the story of Job, a man who suffered and had done nothing wrong, and yet he remained faithful to God, and God rewarded him double of what he lost. We need to understand that, that God cares about our testimony, and you don't have a testimony without a test. And so we will go through tests so that we will have a testimony of God's power and his victory. And that's how we overcome this accuser. Satan is the accuser. How do we overcome him? Let's read. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Christ. This is the end times. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And this is how they overcame him. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And so at the end of our service, we're going to take communion. And this juice represents the blood of the lamb. See, a lamb had to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. But Jesus was the final lamb. There's no more animal sacrifice. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine doing all that stuff? We've been set free from that because Jesus is the lamb of God. And so when we take communion, we remember that. That the blood of Jesus overcomes the accusations of Satan. And our testimony, the things God has done for us, how he saved us, how he set us free, how he delivered us. The fact is we live under the constant accusation of Satan. Day and night he accuses Christians. And he accuses us of our sin that has already been forgiven. How many know the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive our sins. And he remembers them no more. He chooses not to remember them. Now Satan remembers them and he tries to bring it up to us all the time. He accuses us of our broken past. I love that song Nathan sang at the end there. Our past is broken, but how many of you know Jesus saved us from the past? We don't have to live there anymore. We don't have to feel guilt about the past anymore. Listen, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you and, and if he has caused you to make any kind of restitution to someone else, if you've done that, you don't have to feel condemned. And if you feel condemned, it's not from God. Your sins are forgiven, but it's the accuser. And we need to realize that, that Satan is the one that accuses us and brings up our past. He accuses us of being a failure and a disappointment. If you've ever had that feeling, that, man, I'm such a failure. I'm, I'm such a disappointment. That's not God talking. That's the devil talking. That's the devil accusing. And we need to, we need to shut him up. I'm going to tell you how in just a little bit. Satan accuses us that we're hopeless and we're worthless. And he, lie, he speaks those lies through his demons in our ears. And we start believing that and we start to falter. And we will fall if we give in to those accusations. We got to counter those accusations by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony, we say, no, I know I am forgiven. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus quoted scripture. And we need to quote scripture. We need to stand on the word of God. That we are forgiven and we are free and our sins are not held against us anymore. And Satan utters accusations and we overcome him by declaring out loud how God has saved us and forgiven us. Satan accuses us, but number three... The Lord rebukes Satan. Not just us. The Lord. Satan is the accuser, but the Lord is our defender. And more than that, Jesus silences Satan. Now, I've often prayed, I've often spoke to the devil, I rebuke you, Satan. And yet in reality, that's not really mentioned that way in Scripture. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but how many you know if I say, I rebuke you, Satan, there's no power in me. The power is in the name of Jesus. And so we, we need to realize that at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. But we need to also understand that 
Satan, while he has power, it's limited. And we are not to say, I rebuke you. We are to say, the Lord rebuke you. We are to speak it out, but it's the Lord who rebukes Satan, not us. There's so much more authority and power when the Lord rebukes Satan. In Zechariah, our, our text this morning, the Lord does a double rebuke on the devil. He rebukes him twice. That's a double whammy. And this principle of the Lord rebuking Satan is also found in the New Testament, in the book of Jude. Now, the book of Jude is this little one-chapter book right before the book of Revelation. It is an awesome book. I've, I've taught it in, as a lesson sometimes, but Jude introduces these nuggets of information and we're, we're left hanging for more. Like, what are you talking about? He talks about fallen angels bound in prisons of darkness. He talks about do not slander celestial beings. He talks about the prophecy of Enoch, which we don't have a copy of. And he also talks about Satan and the archangel Michael arguing about the body of Moses. And then it just moves on. It, talk, it mentions it and then it moves on. And I'm like, wait a minute, I want, I want more information here. But let's read this passage, Jude 4 and 8 and 9. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Verse 8. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. How many know an archangel is pretty powerful? It's possible that Satan was an archangel as well, that there's three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and, and Satan was an arch, possibly an archangel. And so Michael is powerful. He's a powerful angelic being. But even Michael doesn't rebuke Satan. He doesn't say, I, Michael, the archangel of God, rebuke you, Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you. Because even Michael, the archangel, knows the power is in the name of Jesus. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you know him, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. But we don't say to Satan, I rebuke you. We say to him, the Lord rebuke you. Because it's the Lord who has the power, not us. We see this in the book of Acts. It says there were seven sons of Sceva. And they saw Paul delivering people from demons. And so they knew of a demon-possessed man. And they walk in there, all seven of them. And they try to cast out the demon. And the demon says, Paul I know. And Jesus I certainly know. But I don't know you. And it says he beat them and stripped them, and they all ran out naked. First streakers in the Bible. No, that's not true. Mark, Mark was the first streaker in the Bible. You can look it up. And so it's, it's amazing that the archangel still says, the Lord rebuke you. And so we should do the same. And, and this mystery of fallen angels bound in darkness, and especially the, the body of Moses, Let's read that, Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6. This is all we really have about expanding on this argument over the body of Moses. 
Remember, God had told Moses he wasn't going to go into the promised land. He'd see it from a distance. So we see Deuteronomy 34, 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. And the Lord buried him, the Lord buried him, in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. And so some have suggested that the two witnesses in the last days will be Enoch, who did not die but was taken home by the Lord, and Moses, they may be the two witnesses. It may be Enoch and Elijah, because Elijah never died. He was taken up in a fiery chariot. But Moses died and God buried him. Now, I've done a lot of funerals, but I've never seen that happen. And, and it, God hid his Bible and the devil wanted to know where it was at and got in a fight with Michael, the archangel. And the archangel says, the Lord rebuke you. So not only, so we, we are to rebuke the devil, but in the name of the Lord. Not only does God rebuke Satan on our behalf, number four, God snatches us from the fire. Israel was this firebrand that was going to be burnt, and God snatched it out of the fire. He pulled the nation of Israel out of Babylon. He pulled them out of exile. He pulled them out of all that despair. When they had gone into exile, they were rescued from total annihilation. The New Living Translation Study Bible notes says this, the Lord is both defense attorney and judge. He censures the prosecution's arguments, dismisses the case, and declares Yeshua innocent because he has been chosen and cleansed by God. Like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire, Yeshua and the other Hebrew exiles were plucked by God from near destruction in Babylon. And so Israel was snatched from the fire. But we know God is doing the same for you and me. I remember years ago, my sister and my brother-in-law were camping, and they had a roaring campfire going, and, a, and my nephew, Jamie, who knows who he was named after. But uh, anyway, uh, he was just a toddler, and he was toddling around the fire, and sure enough, he tripped and he fell into that campfire that was roaring. My brother-in-law, Kim, responded so fast he jumped up and grabbed him and there was not a burn on him I mean I think it was it was God's grace but it was also the quickness of my brother-in-law snatching his son from the fire and that's what God does for you and me we think we're going to get burned up but God's coming to snatch us from the fire we're not going to be destroyed we're not hopeless we got to we got to say that sometimes out loud we're not hopeless my past is forgiven Stop accusing me. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Because God has snatched me from the fire. And I will not be destroyed. You've got to believe that. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how hot it gets. No matter what fiery furnace you're in, how many of you know there's a fourth in the fire? The Son of God. This metaphor of being snatched from the fire is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. Look at Amos 4.11. God says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Yet you have not returned to me. It's amazing some of the exiles wouldn't return. 
to the Lord. God had rescued him. He had given him a way out. He had snatched him from the fire, but they wouldn't return. Not only is this representative of Israel, it's, it's representative of you and me. Since God has snatched you and me from the fire, he calls upon us to snatch others from the fire. We see this back in Jude. Here it is again, the book of Jude. It's not just a Beatles song. It's, it's got awesome information. Jude 22 and 23, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I love that song. Mercy is falling and it's falling. It's like rain. And so we are to snatch people from the fire and show them mercy. That's the job of the church. That's the mission of the church. That we're to snatch people from the fires of hell. And wherever you go, on your job, in your school, with friends and family, your neighbors, how many of you know you're there to snatch them from the fire? If they don't know Jesus, God is strategically placed there. And you can start to show them the love of Christ because that's what we're supposed to do. We're to snatch people from the fire. And how many know if you snatch people from the fire, they're going to smell like smoke? My mom used to say, smoking won't send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. <laughs> so smoking isn't a sin, but it's just so. And the Bible says that some will make it to heaven only by fire. I mean, you, they'll barely make it because they, had no, they didn't do any works for the Lord. And so you'll see those people. They'll be wandering around smoking. Not like this, but just smoking. I mean, there's smoke everywhere. Singed hair, eyebrows gone. I know what I'm talking about. I've done that before, but that's for another time. You know what? We're all snatched from the fire. And that's something to be thankful for. What has God delivered you from? What has he forgiven you of? There's, there's so much. That accuser has to shut up and, and eventually he will be silenced forever. No more accusation, no more condemnation. We will be completely free of the accuser. But we've got to lean on our high priest and we've got to speak the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Not me, the Lord rebuke you. Would you stand with me for the blessing? After I give the blessing, the elders and board members and pastors will be gathered here in the front for anybody who would like personal prayer. Or you can, you can kneel in the altars if you just want some private time as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord... Turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California. 
at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.